Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. And I'm really happy today to have my friend Peter Hyatt with us. Peter's in Denver, and I'm in Lawrence, Kansas, but the sun's shining, and it's a a nice day in February when we're recording this. And whenever you guys are listening to it, it's going to be a nice day for you, too, because you're going to get to hear from Peter. So welcome, Peter. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul. It's great to be here. Thank you. My wife, Kitsy, and I had a wonderful time with Peter and his wife last uh, summer when we went to Colorado Springs. We went on our way up to Denver, and uh, they hosted us at lunch at a little place right by Red Rock. Uh, and uh, that boy, still have great memories of that. But thank you again for that nice time. Well, yeah, thank you. Yep. You bet. As I always do when I start out the interview, I like to ask my guests, how is your ongoing, continual understanding of God's grace and uh, unconditional love and inclusion? How's that affecting you today, every day, where the rubber hits the road in your relationships with your family, with you as a pastor, with your church, with your friends, neighbors? How does it affect you? What difference does it make? Gosh, that's such a huge question. It makes all the difference in the world, but there's definitely a cost to it. I mean, in my story, it meant I lost a big church and went from being someone that was highly respected around town and Christian circles to being sort of the town heretic. But it's entirely worth it because I can't imagine better news than the news that we have. And that is that God is our dad and he loves each of us absolutely. And he doesn't fail that he's going to finish what he started and he does it through his word, who is Jesus, our Lord. And for me, because I know that my father in heaven loves everyone absolutely, well, I can love them. I was a Presbyterian. And I love that theological system. There's so much that's good about Reformed theology in my mind, but it's only good for the elect. (laughs) And, you know, and I would go to other countries and do evangelism projects and preach on Sunday. And I had such incredible news for the people that were the elect. And yet this longing inside of me to tell people that God loved them. And, you know, I would had friends that would say that when they preach and I'd say, but you believe that some people are not elect unto salvation, which, so how can you say that God really loves them, which was a struggle. So for me, this news of God's relentless love, and that is redeeming all creation, making all people new, that in fact, all of us are his children, is incredible news because I can preach wonderful news to anybody, and then I can also love everybody. So. To live in the world with this 
hidden doubt that maybe the person you're sitting next to on a plane will be endlessly tortured by God. That's just horrifying. And then to have it dumped on you that you're somehow supposed to save them or save them from this God who may endlessly torture them by telling this person that he loves them and he died for them is like a hidden insanity that is just incredibly hard to live with. So it just means everything to be able to look at someone and to think to myself and to be able to express to them, our father, you have a father, you have a creator, and he is madly, furiously, relentlessly in love with you. And I can, I'm happy to tell you about it if you would like to hear. That's everything. Yeah. Such a different paradigm, such a different way to relate to people. It, it takes all the pressure off of us and off of them. I was listening to somebody the other day, I can't remember who it was right now, but they were talking about uh, Charles Finney, the great evangelist in, in the 1800s. And uh, apparently, he, when the first time he came over here, he had quite a bit of contact with Native Americans. Of course, he, he wasn't Reformed uh, theology. He said something to the effect of that after he related to and spent some time with and heard and listened to the Native Americans, he realized that Jesus was here and in them long before Europeans came <laughs> to the Americas. And that's kind of the feeling I get now when I talk to people who before I thought were damned to hell. I can realize, no, no, he's been here. He's been in them long before I came on the scene. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what scripture testifies to. Have you ever heard the story of Billy Graham and the monk in China on one of his evangelism tours? Tony oh. Campolo told me this story years ago, and he said Billy Graham shared it with him, but he couldn't really share it publicly. And supposedly he was, I think it was somewhere in China, he was walking up the steps of this monastery, and he saw this monk over on the side meditating and praying. And he said, well, I just kind of felt led to go over with the interpreter and talk to this monk. So he goes over to the monk, and he starts telling him about who Jesus is, and that um, Jesus loves him, died for him. And he said, and now I would like to give you this book. He had a copy of the New Testament in Chinese or the gospel or something. And as he's telling him this story, the monk's just crying. And he stopped him. He said, what's going on? You seem to be moved by what I'm telling you. And the monk said, oh, sir, this is the greatest gift I've ever received while you were speaking to me. Well, you see, I've known this man my entire life. And while you were speaking to me, I could hear him inside of me saying, he's talking about me. And then when you said the name Jesus, he said, that's my name. That's my name. That's my name. And then Graham gave him the book. And it's so sad that he had a hard time sharing that story because evangelicals would be offended by it. But I'm thinking, what a wonderful privilege it is to tell someone about Jesus when you realize that God's been working in their heart their whole life, and he's just bringing you along to help share the good news. <laughs> and if you mess up, he doesn't have to endlessly torture them without mercy, which is such a crazy idea. But we kind of have a slogan, you know, churches have slogans. But our, our slogan when we started was, God is better than you thought. The love of Jesus is deeper than you know. And the Spirit is everywhere working the wonders of mercy. And I think that's really true. And that's a testimony of Scripture that Jesus has descended into all the dark places of humanity and is there working. And we get to be part of what he's doing, which isn't a curse, but a blessing. Oh, it is. And then when we start to see that other people are on the same journey that we're on, that he's doing that with them, that he's in them as well as us, 
Well, again, it just changes everything. I was at a restaurant this morning with a friend of mine who had a really rough time with religion earlier on in his life and just walked away from it. And he should have walked away from the group that he was in. He's my age. And we were just talking about seeing other people in the restaurant, seeing them completely differently now. And and he said, I saw them like that before I met you. <laughs> he said, "He said I knew everybody was okay, <laughs> except for the people that told me in church that I wasn't okay. He said, I've seen people like that for a long time. I just didn't know exactly what that meant. Isn't it wild how in some ways the church has so often been the chief opponent of the gospel? I mean, when we were preaching through Matthew years ago, when I was getting in trouble, I was just shocked to realize, oh, we're the Pharisees. It was the religious institution that's so offended by Jesus' grace. And when you think to how an institution grows and what it is by, you know, defining the enemy and bringing people into its camp, it makes some sense. But it is a bit terrifying. And yet, if I believe what, like Paul said in Ephesians 1.10, where he says that, you know, he talks about the plan for the fullness of time. Anakephalio is this Greek verb, but to bring together under one head or to unite all humanity in Christ Jesus. Well, that means that when I'm sitting at the restaurant and I'm looking around at the people in the restaurant, every one of them is a part of my body. And so like Paul talks about, no man ever hates his own flesh. If I'm hating them, I'm hating part of my own body, part of Christ's body that he's bringing together. And None of them are competitors with me. There's nothing for me to gain by their loss. But we all are so, I think, deceived by the enemy that flesh just competes with everything. And Mm. I think once God opens your eyes to the realization that every person is a gift to you that doesn't take from you, that it only appears that they take from you, but they literally complete you and they complete the body of Christ. Well, then that changes everything, right? And of course, if you're a dad, it's like with your kids. You don't, it hurts when you see your kids intimidated by each other or competing with each other. And Mm -hmm. you try to explain, look, I love each of you with all of me. That means you don't get 30% and you get 40%. I love each of you with all of me. And each of you is utterly unique. And John, I don't want you to be Coleman and Elizabeth. I don't want you to be Becky and Becky. I don't want you to be Elizabeth. I, I want you to be you. And one day you'll see that each of you is a gift to each other. And it's cool now, you know, being an older sure. dad to see that starting to happen where they really like hanging out together. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful when that happens. You, you talked about, you know, God and his body. I have a friend that wrote this crazy title book called God yeah. and his sexy, but I think you've changed the name of that now. I mean, so. yeah, yeah. We <laughs> republished it as God and his body because some people were stressed about the sexy title, but yeah, the body of Christ is such a fascinating concept in scripture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for promoting the book. That's well, great. sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's all dog-eared and highlighted and yellow highlights and underlined and stuff as your other books are too. What you were saying, Peter, reminded me of the uh, Luke 15 thing, and it was just interesting. I think I could probably study that every week and teach on it every Sunday and not run out of fresh things. But I was listening to Malcolm Smith teach on it the other day, and he was just talking about at the very beginning of that, he's hanging out with and receiving and eating with 
the sinners and the tax collectors. And that's what got the religious people, the Pharisees, set them off to begin with, just that he was doing that, that he was celebrating life with them. And then he does these two parables about celebrating the lost sheep and the lost coin. But then when the younger son comes back, and obviously there's so many facets to this, but Malcolm was just dwelling on the celebration point. You know, Jesus making the point of, I'm not going to listen to his trying to tell me he's unworthy. I'm not going to let him do all that. We're going to celebrate. Everybody's going to know, and he's going to know that he's my son. He's always been my son. There's nothing he has to do to jump through any hoops or anything. And we're going to have the fatted calf. We're going to have the Jerusalem jazz quintet. We're going to have wine. We're going to make merry. We're going to celebrate. And uh, all the stuff in that made the Pharisees upset. But I think celebrating, at least from what I was seeing fresh from Malcolm, was celebrating really got them. <laughs> they, they, they just, as it did the older brother, you know, because they were into a thing that you celebrate good behavior and you punish bad behavior. And, you know, that was a system that I was in. You celebrate good behavior by getting promoted to teaching Sunday school or leading a small group and being a deacon or elder or whatever. And you get punished by bad behavior for in all sorts of ways. You got punished a little worse than most of the rest of us. But that whole system of behavior and reward or punishment, you don't see that in Jesus' life. You just, you don't see it. And what's so shocking is the way the story ends is so surprising because the one that's doing the punishing is the older brother who punishes himself by going out into the outer field. And he punishes the father because the story ends with the father standing in the outer darkness with the older son, trying to get the son to go into the party, which is such a dramatic twist. And I think it explains why, you know, people will always say Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody. And he spoke about Hades more than anybody. And he spoke about Gehenna too. But when you go back to all the texts and look at who he's speaking to, he's speaking to the religious group. Yeah. And they end up in the outer darkness because they don't want to hang out with the younger brother at the party. <laughs> so, or, or the father who is yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And but the and then in the story, the father goes out into the darkness to be with the boy that's standing out there, which is such a beautiful picture of Jesus who yeah. descends into all of our dark places and romances us back into the party. So yeah. you know, which I think there's this shocking message in scripture. And I've experienced him praying for people dealing with weird demonic and ritual abuse stuff that when you go to the darkness to get that person that's stuck in the darkness you also go to get jesus too because jesus is in you reaching out to the jesus that's suffering in the darkness with them yeah and it's such an incredible picture that he's in both places glorifying the father and then inviting you into the fun of bringing someone into the party and he's always been there yeah. yeah, I think Jesus, well, I know Jesus did teach about hell, and the best example of his teaching about hell is the older brother. Yeah. He was in a hell of his own choice, not wanting the younger brother to be accepted, but worse than that, just being totally bummed with the father who would accept him. I mean, if that's not a picture of hell. Yeah. It, the story of the workers in the vineyard is just like that too, right? It's the early workers yeah. that get so offended that the late workers could get paid just as much. They judge themselves out of the vineyard. And that's the sermon that really got me in trouble years ago, because I read all the verses about God saving everyone. 
And then I said, now check your heart. Does that get you angry? Because if it gets you angry, maybe you don't want everybody to be saved. And if you don't want what God wants, then you're not saved. And <laughs> I kind of suddenly said, maybe you just judged yourself out of the vineyard, you know? And <laughs> I think that's the, because you asked, you know, how, what's it been like talking about this? And I think that's a little bit of the shocking thing for me is that over the years, I'd worked really hard at preaching whatever the truth was, what was in scripture and confronting hard issues. But the most offensive thing by far that I found I ever preached was that God loved everybody. God was powerful enough to save everybody. God wanted to save everybody. And in Jesus, he said he would save everybody. And that so offended so many people. It, and it was a bit terrifying to me because I struggled with how do I tell them that they because they're offended that I'm not defending this idea of an endless hell, they're putting themselves in some sort of hell, that they're putting themselves in the outer darkness. And the measure you give is the measure you receive, at least for a time. That's the shocking implication of those. Yeah. So the older brother wanted the younger brother to be out of the party, right? And yeah. then the older brother ends up out of the party. <laughs> at least for a time along. And you're like, wow, it really matters how I view my brothers and sisters. Oh boy, does it ever. I have in conversations with people when I'm feeling ornery is probably the best word for it. I'll say, let me just ask you, why would you not want everybody to be saved? Have you ever thought about that? And uh, <laughs> the answers that I get are, uh, it basically, it's, oh, oh well, you know, I, I, I want everybody to be saved, but, you know, some people just don't deserve it. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> well, in other words, it offends the flesh. For me, when I started preaching it and people said, Peter, you have to stop this. And they couldn't figure out exactly how to tell me to stop because I was basically just reading Bible verses, you know, and not explaining why. <laughs> but I felt like God kind of whispered to my heart, I want you to talk about this because the thing that's being offended is the flesh. And I came, this is the irony, I came to destroy the flesh. That's what gets mm. burned up in the Valley of Gehenna is your mm. flesh, your ego, your pride. And I think the challenge is, so God, how do I talk about this without becoming the very thing that I'm talking about? So if I talk about it in anger, well, then I end up doing exactly the same thing. So yeah. it's that compassion for the older brother that is so, I think, beautiful in God's sight. So mm -hmm. when Jesus delivers the woes to the Pharisees, I've often wondered, what did his voice sound like? Was it woe as an anger or woe as an, oh, I just, my heart breaks for you because mm. you guys are trapped in hell right now and you don't even know yeah. it. You're, you're about to crucify the word of love. And I'm convinced all Israel will be saved, like Paul says in Romans, but I think the woe was, this is really going to hurt. It's going to hurt. I think that had to be his tone of voice. The Jesus I know it uh, just did. In our next interview, I want to pick back up on this and share something and get your take on it. But we're about out of time for now, so I'll leave that to try to pique people's interest to come back next week, which I know they will uh, anyway. But Peter, tell people how they can get in touch with you and how they can find the sanctuary in Denver and all of those different things. Yeah, probably the best way. The website for the church in Denver is thesanctuarydenver.org. 
And if you go to that site, it can lead you to a sermon database and another website we have, which is specifically devoted to this message, the message of relentless love. So maybe it's even better to go right there. And that's just relentless and then dash love.org. And on that site, we have sermons posted and helps and a way to get to books that I've written that you can get on Amazon. Those two websites would probably be the easiest way. There's also on the church website links to where we have services, you know, live on Sundays so that people can join on Facebook or Vimeo. Great. And I certainly encourage people to do that. And uh, I know that in a very small part, these interviews are going to pique some people's interest. So we look forward to that. And we're going to finish up now, but we'll be back a week from now. I got to tell you that unless he does a quick change, that Peter and I will be wearing the same shirts and it'll be the same time of day. Uh, It'll be a week later, but it really won't. So that's uh, one of those great mysteries. (laughs) Yeah. Space and time, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, hey, Peter, thanks for being here very much. Thanks so much for doing this, Paul. Thanks for all your books. Thanks for your ministry. Thanks for this podcast. Sure. It's my privilege, and I appreciate you, and I appreciate everybody being here for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. We'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.